Hello, music enthusiasts. Welcome to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I explore new and classic releases, different genres, and your favorite artists and bands. I am your host, Cesar Torres. Thank you for joining me today. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have uh, kind of a weird clock or seasonal awareness whenever I listen to music. I really like the poppy and the... I don't know, the fun music in in the summer, in the spring, in the summer. And I really like to shift moods around the winter and the the fall. Maybe go a a bit darker, a bit gloomier, a bit moodier. I feel like a good genre to listen to in the winter and the fall is post-punk. Because it's got that dark and icy quality to it sometimes. A lot of bands go for that dark, icy, edgy atmosphere. Maybe, Maybe not so much edgy, but... You get what I mean. I, I, I do like listening to the more upbeat and lighter stuff uh, around this time of year, around spring. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because later on in the show, I got a segment on post-punk and, and what that is and how you can get into that genre. So I kind of I kind of spoiled it already, didn't I? Um, but it, it just felt so odd listening to post-punk around this time of year, especially when I think I got around to listening to my first post-punk album, Joy Division's Own Unpleasures, around winter. I want to say two or three years ago, around New Year's Day. Yeah, New Year's Year's Eve, I was listening to Own Unpleasures for the first time. And then the day after, I got really sick. Like, I was coughing, I was weak, I didn't want to do anything. It was it was the first day of the year. I want to say maybe 2018 and I was just ill. <laughs> but it, I feel like it was a good time to listen to that record around that season and around the time I was feeling sick because ugh, that record is just so dark and bleak and just so sad and depressing and I get really sad and not depressed, but sad when I get sick cuz I hate being sick. And listening to that was just Oof. But I'll never forget that lesson of Joy Division's Unknown Pleasures because while it was dismal, while it was bleak, I had never heard something with that atmosphere to that degree before. And it was kind of jarring listening to Ian Curtis's vocals and the bass-heavy arrangements on that record and drums that sounded very metallic. And I guess oh, it's been it's been a summer of Joy Division so far because... Closer was just uh, had its 40th anniversary a couple weeks back, and so that's been in my mind. And doing that show made me think of this week's show, which was doing a what is post punk guide and giving you five essential albums in, in that genre. And usually, I save that Joy Division mood for again the winter and the fall and whenever seasonal depression kicks in so this is it's it's got me off whack i gotta listen to more upbeat music maybe next week i'll listen to more upbeat music and and save the mood save my vibe but also like i I really like doing these guides because it makes me it makes me realize how much i am missing in in those genres Uh, last week the the abstract hip-hop genre made me realize how many stuff that I was missing and made me want to go back, but I couldn't because I was listening to post-punk stuff. And now listening this week, you know, I've never really heard that much Susie and the Banshees. And I feel like I, I want to delve more into their music and really see what they have to offer. 
but pretty much uh, I'm sure my time will be used doing listening to the music for the next guide. So double-edged sword here, double-edged sword. Uh, but enough rambling. Um, let's get to the show. I've got a great show for you this week. Again, I'm doing a what is post-punk guide later on in the show. But first, as always, we have to take a look back at this past week in music. All right, so I did not listen to any LPs this past week. I kind of wanted to catch up on LPs that I missed throughout the year, but I ended up spending a lot of my time on the post-punk segment that is coming up after the break. So I only listened to singles, but a lot of singles were released by a lot of significant artists and a lot of artists that I listened to. So let's get started with this past week of music, starting with Video Game by Sufjan Stevens. This is the second single from the forthcoming The Ascension, and it is a catchy synth-pop tune. It has these bright synths and a bumping drum pattern that is infectious. I found myself doing a little dance as I heard this one. The lyrics might be referring to his wavering relationship with religion, as we heard on America. But I also found the lyrics on the bridge interesting, as Sufjan says, I don't want to be your Julius Caesar, I don't want it to go down that way, but in a way you gotta follow the procedure, so go ahead and play your video game. Which could relate to his popularity and his fame. He doesn't want to get to a status where he loses those close to him or they stab him in the back like Julius Caesar. But with the follow the procedure line, he acknowledges that while he wants to make his music for artistic purposes or even for himself, he also needs to make music to survive and live. So he's following that procedure. Really great song, really interesting lyricism, and I'm looking forward to the album. Next, I heard iPhone by Rico Nasty, and I was eager to listen to this one because this song was produced by none other than Dylan Brady. His production style is the first thing that stands out on this track. We have that signature abrasive noise that the Gex are known for, and Rico's voice is high-pitched on the hook and throughout most of this song. And yeah, it's pretty much a hyper-pop banger. If Rico's next album sounds like this, then I'm gonna have to give that one a listen. Up next, we have Some of Us by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And this is a, a very interesting track, because while the last single, Honey, was clearly a laid-back microtonal guitar melody, this one is more blown out and a little more psychedelic. There's a King Gizzard sound to a lot of their music. They have a signature sound, and this song follows that formula, if you get what I mean. And I, I like it. The drum rhythm slaps, the vocal manipulation is cool, and the guitars are very trippy, and I think it's a pretty good song. Next, I heard Fairbanks, Alaska by The Front Bottoms. This is the fourth single from their upcoming release. Much like King Gizzard, the From Bottoms have their own formula. There's that easygoing acoustic guitar melody, the vocal harmonies, and a propelling drum beat. These guys really make inoffensive and easy to digest pop punk music. And while it's not incredible, it's not terrible. It's just an average song. Next, we got Legal Ghost by Tropical Fuckstorm. And I've been meaning to re listen to their previous album because I barely remember it. But it's nice to hear music from this group because I freaking love them. And this one's a slow burn. Gareth Lydiard's, Liddy, Lydiard's? I, I don't know how to say it. Uh, his vocals are weary and the guitars are a bit hazy at the beginning of the song. But then it 
crescendos with Lydiard's increasing his intensity in his voice and the guitar is blaring with energy until it calms back down until the end until the song ends. This one was pretty good. Looking forward to the new album. If they drop one, we'll see. And next I heard, will you return when you come down by the flaming lips? I don't know how many singles they've released so far, but here's a new one. And I think this might be the best single that they released so far. Now it's not spectacular, but I do love Wayne's dreamy vocals and the gentle piano and the, throbbing synths. This song takes a more ethereal quality to it as it progresses, and it's a nice song to vibe to or take drugs to. It's the Flaming Lips, so go nuts. But it's a pretty nice song. Was surprised by this one, honestly. We'll see how the final product turns out. And next we have Model Village by Idols, and I'm waiting for this band to drop their next album too, but uh, this song uh, criticizes uh, right-wing and, and conservative living uh, in their metaphorical villages, whether it be a small town with little to no people of color or a gated community. But a lot of smart commentary here. You kind of have to ignore how every line ends with the word village, but it's still great stuff here, especially the he's not a racist, but in the village line. I loved that line. I also love Talbot's aggressive delivery on the chorus and the the mockery in his voice, or I think it's mockery that I hear, but that comes across in the vocals. Great energy and great progression for this song. Another fantastic track from Idols. Then we have Dying Breed by The Killers. A very charming and uplifting song from their new album coming out soon. I thought it was a pretty average track. I mean, it's The Killers. You're going to have fun with it regardless, but I really have nothing much to say about it other than I liked the energy for the most part, but their brand of new wave and heartland rock, it's not for me. We'll see what the rest of the album has to offer. Next, we heard Ultra Black by Nas and Hit Boy. I liked the jazzy and chill production from Hit Boy. Nas's flow was pretty solid. I liked his flow. I liked his message as well. Really not much to dislike about this track, honestly. It did get a bit repetitious, but the track's not that long, so that's not a major complaint from me. Apparently, he's also releasing an LP soon, so we'll see how that final product sounds as well. And finally, I heard Laugh Now. Cry Later with Drake featuring a little Dirk. I guess the production was nice at first. I did like the beat, but it doesn't really switch it up, so it ends up kind of stale by the end of the track. And the hook and Drake's third verse isn't really that strong. If anything, I'm pretty indifferent to this track. To be fair, I'm not the biggest Drake fan either. Okay, so that does it for this past week in music. What was your favorite single from this past week? Let me know. Tweet me, send me a message on Anchor, send me a message on Twitter too if you want. <laughs> but uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll be talking about post-punk. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Sound Encounters before the break, I had promised we were going to go over post-punk, what that is, and five essential albums in that genre. So, what is post-punk? Post-punk is a subgenre of punk music that emerged around the mid to late 70s. While it is inspired by punk's energy and DIY ethic, the musical focus is 
a lot different from punk rock. For starters, a lot of post-punk bands use the bass guitar as its lead instrument, as seen with bands like Gang of Four and Public Image Limited. That pulsating sound and rhythm from the bass and drums are a prominent staple in post-punk music. And the guitar has to weave its own pattern around the bass guitars. Guitars also sound angular. Within this genre, it has a cold and melancholic tone to it. And let's not forget the importance of atmosphere and the focus on more serious subject matter. Vocals are also cold, menacing, and monotonous. Some post-punk is not meant for the weak of heart, so you have been warned. Also, it's very easy to mix up post-punk and art-punk groups and albums from this era. A lot of art-punk groups did sound like these post-punk bands I'm going to be talking about today, but also they sounded a lot like New Wave as well. So I'm just sticking to the bands and albums that sound like what I just described. So no Talking Heads and no Devo. Sorry. And with that, let's get into my list. At number one, we have Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, released in 1979. And what better way to start this list than with the infamous t-shirt album? Honestly, I feel like this design the design on the cover and on the shirt is more or just as famous as the music itself this is joy division's first full-length record and the lineup consisted of stephen morris on drums peter hook on bass and backing vocals bernard sumner on guitar and keyboards and ian curtis as the vocalist joy division was formed in the summer of 1977 under the name warsaw inspired by david bowie's song or Sawzaw, from Low, released in the same year. They changed their name to Joy Division in early 1978 to avoid confusion with another punk group at the time named Warsaw Pack. Joy Division's music can be described as dark and sinister, and that can kind of be attributed to Ian Curtis as he hanged himself in his kitchen due to his battle with depression before their second album, Closer, released in 1980. And ever since then, Curtis's suicide just loomed over Joy Division like a dark cloud. But even before then, their music came off this way. And what can you expect from a group that named themselves after a sex slavery wing of a Nazi concentration group? Yeah, they weren't fucking around. Another factor into... The sound of this band was Mark Hennett's production style. He liked to emphasize space, he used a lot of unusual sound effects, and he used delays as well. This gives the music this eerie atmosphere you hear throughout the album. On the song Insight, Ian's vocals are recorded down a phone line so Hennett could achieve the distance in Ian's vocals that is heard on that song. Hennett even went on to say that it was great working with the band because they didn't argue with his choices and they didn't know how studio recording really worked. They were just so new to the game. Then you have a track like Day of the Lords, which is a highlight for me as it is bone chilling with the bass guitar ringing out into the space and Ian's vocals swallowed up by that same space. While I do love the desolate atmospheres on a lot of these songs, I also find myself enjoying the upbeat and groovier rhythms of songs like Disorder and Inner Zone. If you're not used to the slow-moving, creeping feeling of most of this record, then these songs will be a bit easier to listen to. Then we have a song like She's Lost Control, which is probably the darkest song on the record, as Ian Curtis's lyrics are about epilepsy, which reflects his own experience. His voice lacks emotion, the bass guitar is detached, and the keyboards are robotic and icy. Another very disturbing song here. If you liked this song, I recommend the single version 
or the version you might find on the Substance compilation, as I think that version is a bit darker than the one here, as Ian's vocals reverberate and the drums and the bass are a bit more aggressive. Honestly, I tried not to talk about this album as much as I could, because I think you should experience this album for yourself if you haven't already. Such a brilliant record, such a brilliant band, honestly. Go listen to it as soon as you can if you haven't already, and you might love it as much as I did. You know, I, I tried to not talk about it as much, but I love it so much that I had to give some of my opinions on some of these songs here. And number two, we have Chairs Missing by Wire, released in 1978. This is the second full-length studio album from this London group. We have Colin Newman on vocals and guitars, Bruce Gilbert on guitar, Graham Lewis on bass, guitar, and Robert Gray on drums. The album they released prior to this one, Pink Flag, featured minimalist and this raw punk attitude of other punk artists that preceded them. And that is still found on some of the songs here, but on Chairs Missing, they take a darker and even a more surreal approach to the music. This shift is demonstrated right from the get-go on the opening track, Practice Makes Perfect, with its foreboding bass line and the slow buildup of the guitar, the chilling background sound effects, and Newman's sinister delivery of the Waiting For Us line at the end of the song. The surrealness of this record comes from their use of whirling synths, like on a song like um, Another The Letter, or the guitar fuzz that roars and envelops the track on many of these songs. The band also pulls off this uneasy feeling here, and I think that's because the term chairs missing refers to a British slang used for someone who is disturbed, and a lot of these songs come off that way, come off very uneasy, very disturbed. Practice Makes Perfect is a great example. The way that Newman's vocal delivery can switch between full of energy on one track to this quiet and whispery deliver on another is also jarring and indicative of the record's mood. You know, we have a track like I Am The Fly, which has a metallic guitar riff that rings out at the beginning and another guitar melody that's more whimsical. But then again, you have these sing-along and harmonious vocal melodies with the clap-along part in the background. And I don't know whether to sing and clap along or find the guitar riff jarring and creepy. It's a mix of moods and styles that shouldn't mesh well, but they end up pulling it off here. We have another surreal track like the feverish I Feel Mysterious Today, which has lyrics that reference mischievousness and this circling, roaring guitar during the hook. And let's not forget those woozy back and forth, ooh, like vocals at the end. Then you have a mellowed out song like Heartbeat, which has Newman whispering and a calmer and quieter guitar and drum playing, or Newman's whispering again on Marooned, accompanied by icy synths and distorted guitars. While these songs are a bit more still than the other anxious and aggressive tracks here, they still have this darkness to them, as the lyrics on Heartbeat refer to a feeling of coldness and sublimity, and I interpreted this as his heart slowing down, which makes him feel colder and then brings on this sublime feeling like he's dying. The line, is there something there behind me, adds a bit of paranoia to the song as well. And Marooned talks about a sailor lost at sea, slowly losing his mind. Another song that has some pretty heavy subject matter is the dizzying Another the Letter, and I think the synths work well on this song as the narrator receives a life-changing letter that is revealed to us to be a suicide note by the end of the track. I also love how when the song hits us with that, the synths and the stunted guitar riff just abruptly stops. It's like a period at the end of a sentence. It's some really good shit. 
I think one of the most interesting songs here is Outdoor Minor, and it's not because of unique instrumentation or dark lyrics, although there is this unknown element to the story of this song. Uh, but it's because of the verse-chorus-verse structure and the gentle sing-along vocals. It's probably the easiest listen you'll have on this record. It's an outlier in an album filled with darkness and deception, and all I do is wonder how did this song end up on this record? If you loved this record, listen to Wire's other albums around this time, like Pink Flag and 154, just masterful works of punk and art punk and post-punk. At number three, we have Entertainment by Gang of Four, released in 1979. Gang of Four is another UK band, and it consists of vocalist John King, guitarist Andy Gill, drummer Hugo Burnham, and bass guitarist David Allen. This is the lineup for this record. What I love about Gang of Four is their ethos and their very combative playing style. Guitarist Andy Gill, which, rest in peace, he passed away earlier this year, had a way of attacking his guitar to make it sound metallic and aggressive. This can be heard on songs like Ether, Guns Before Butter, and Contract, to name a few. And when I say ethos, I mean they have a way of critiquing modern life and ideologies in their lyrics that resonate with me. Take, for instance, Not Great Man, which is a great groove with its funky bass and jagged guitars. On first listen, it's a great danceable punk song, but delving into the lyrics, you'll find a critique on the great man theory, which states that history is shaped by powerful individuals, mostly men. They also critique love and relationships on Anthrax and Naturals on In It, the anxiety and stress of everyday life on At Home He's a Tourist. They take some well-deserved shots at politicians on I Found That Essence Rare. Nothing really escapes their criticism on this record. I love this for the sole reason that it offers something different in subject matter, in, in the lyrics than any of the other records we heard so far. I love how they critique the commodification of love and sex on Naturals Not In It. It's something that is very personal to a lot of people, yet corporations are treating it as it's something to sell you, and it's kind of disgusting. And now I'm just thinking of how awful Tinder and Bumble are as apps, and how those apps try to sell you their premium subscriptions for, for benefits. And there's loads of these commentaries throughout the album, but I really do find the music just as interesting on this record. I love how the guitars cut through the rumbling bass on Damaged Goods. The song develops into a groovy bass line with an upbeat and disjointed guitar melody. Amongst the clanging of the guitar, the bass, and the monotone vocal harmony is this stunted drum pattern on Guns Before Butter. This is such a great album to return to because you'll find something new in the music or the lyrics every time you revisit it. An excellent post-punk record. At number four, we have Second Edition by Public Image Limited, released in 1979. This is also known as Metal Box, but when it was reissued in 1980, the more common version of this record was called Second Edition, and it swapped the 6th and 10th tracks in the track listing. Public Image Limited was formed following the breakup of notorious punk band Sex Pistols. They released their first full-length LP in 1978, and is cited as one of, if not the first, post-punk band. Their second LP, this, this LP, is a challenging listen clouded by a bleak and dismal atmosphere. This record is 16 minutes long, with the first song, Albatross, clocking in at about 11 minutes long. And man, what an opener. We are greeted by vocalist John Lydon's ghastly delivery mixed with atonal guitars that screech along with the drums and bass guitars. You find this very uneasy feeling throughout the track, especially Lydon's creepy repeated line, I know you very well. It's an effective way to creep out your listener at the very beginning, so A plus for that. 
Guitarist Keith Levine, bassist Ja Wobble, and drummer David Humphrey have cited that they've made the song up as they went along, as well as Leiden's lyrics, which were also formed on the spot. It might also surprise you to know that this song was recorded in one take, and these guys are fucking madmen, but this wasn't their intention, as around this time in the band's career, they barely had enough money to afford time in a recording studio, and they snuck into studios uh, late at night to record once everyone else went home. So a lot of this record is improvised, which, if you ask me, is really impressive considering how many of these songs sound fleshed out and fully realized like they were written before, but... I was wrong. Getting back to the music, the record is really front-loaded with its best songs. Pop Tones, according to Leiden, is a song that was inspired by a real story of a woman getting kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and left in the woods by a gang of men. While she couldn't see their faces, she recognized their voices and an unusual tune that was repeated on their car radio, and because of her descriptions, the police were able to identify them. It also features these creeping guitars that get under your skin and Leiden's sinister delivery, which makes for one of the album's most eerie and uncomfortable songs. Careering has these swelling, ominous scents, a daunting bass line, and drum beat with sound effects that sound like gunfire. And it makes sense because this song is about a gunman in Northern Ireland who is careering as a businessman in London. And then we have Swan Lake, which was written for Leiden's dying mother as she wanted a disco song played at her funeral. This is also why the track was initially titled Death Disco. The guitar on this track is wavering, and the synths lurch out at you unexpectedly near the end. It is a track that keeps you on your toes and presents you with this eclectic arrangement. Leiden's vocal delivery here is emotional and turbulent, and that's what makes it so effective here, given the situation it was written for. Hearing him cry out, words cannot express at the end of the track is really heartbreaking. One of the best songs here. We also have little nuggets of just amazement throughout the record, like the dissonant chords on Graveyard, Jaw Wobble's bass playing on songs like Socialist Snowbirds and even Swan Lake, not to mention Leiden's creepy high-pitched vocals on Bad Baby and the end of Albatross. Bone-chilling stuff. If you liked this record, I suggest you check out their debut LP, First Issue. That is a great record as well. Love it. And now for the last item on my list, number five, The Modern Dance by Per Ubu, released in 1978. This is the debut record from this Cleveland punk band. Per Ubu was formed in 1975 after another Cleveland punk band, Rocket from the Tombs, was disbanded. The vocalist from Rocket, David Thomas, along with guitarist Peter Laffner, recruited another guitarist, Tom Herman, bass guitarist Tim Wright, drummer Scott Krauss, and synthesist Alan Rivenstein. And thus, Per Ubu was born. The Modern Dance was recorded between October of 1976 through November of 1977, with some complications to the band's roster. Tim Wright left the band to join DNA. He's credited as the bass guitarist player on the self-titled track and on Sentimental Journey on this record. Tony Maimoin, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, I'm sorry, was signed on as the bassist right after Wright left. And Peter Laffner left the band after the first two singles were released due to pancreatic issues, which he passed away from soon afterwards. So some unfortunate occurrences took place within the band before they could release their first full-length LP, but when they did, man, they released something extraordinary. For starters, it is a bit difficult to label this record genre. It has that raw and anxious quality that the previous albums in this list has, but Per Ubu is a bit more idiosyncratic, and I would even classify them as avant-garde for a lot of these tracks. 
I mean, you have Ravenstein's synth plane, which leans more towards harsh ear-splitting noise. I was taken aback when the first track, Non-Alignment Pact, started with this jarring high-frequency tone in the right channel. I didn't expect that, especially when the rest of the song takes on this Chuck Berry quality to it. While we're on Non-Alignment Pact, let's point out Thomas's vocal delivery, because he's unlike any other post-punk frontman on this list. His singing style takes on this erratic and wild quality as it moves up and down. You can also hear stuttering and voice cracks and yelping in his voice. His voice is also very nasally, and with all of these ingredients combined together, you have one of post-punk's most distinguishable vocalists. Very different from the bleak and monotonous singers of Joy Division and Public Image. And while we're on Thomas, let's talk about the instrument that he plays, which is the piccolo oboe or the musette, which has this high-pitched and squeaky quality to it, and to hear this instrument on a post-punk record is a bit odd to say the least. So we have harsh ear-splitting synths, we have a distinguishable voice in David Thomas, and we have a frickin' horn section. So let's just get to the music now. For the most part, the first side presents us with the straightforward rock and roll songs with some twists. Street Waves has a tried-and-true chord progression with the bass guitar and drums comprising the rhythm and a guitar solo worked into the song, but we start to notice something strange when we hear this shrieking sound effect at the beginning of the song, then halfway through the song, there, everything breaks away and the shrieking becomes this ominous drone and creates this haunting atmosphere. With the third track, Laughing, we are starting to see more of this avant-garde experimentation that Thomas creates as it starts with this frenzy of the musette and a free jam of guitars and drums before erupting into this more energetic boogie with a piano melody. Life Stinks is actually credited to Laughner, and probably the most post-punk song here. The bass and drums act as the backbone of the song while the guitars interweave through the composition, but then Thomas's erratic delivery throws that all off. The musette playing also comes in and causes more disarray. Chinese Radiation is an interesting track. It's this neurotic shuffle that starts with a laid-back guitar melody with icy synth effects worked into the melody. Then that turns into a propelling drum rhythm with an audience cheering sound effect added to it. And then that finally turns into silence with the only real instrument playing are the disjointed drums and this melodramatic piano. There's just so much happening in this record, it's hard to keep up with, but it's also quite the exciting journey. Finally, we have Sentimental Journey, speaking of which, which is the ultimate avant-garde display on the record as guitar chords are repeated. We have these dissonant horns, the airy whispered vocals, and the sound effect of glass breaking. It's a loose and chaotic display that's made more anarchic once the frantic drumming kicks in. Truly a wild ride of a track. I did struggle to put this on the list since there's more of a focus on experimentation and could be defined as experimental or art rock, but I wanted to show the lengths that some of these post-punk artists went to to experiment with listeners' notion of what punk was, and that's what post-punk is all about. And with that, that concludes my list of essential post-punk albums. To recap, we have Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, Chairs Missing by Wire, Entertainment by Gang of Four, Second Edition or Metal Box by Public Image Limited, and The Modern Dance by Per Ubu. What did you think of this list? Do you think I might have missed something? Would you take one of these albums out and put in another? Let me know on Twitter at Sound Encounters. You can also send me a voice message on anchor.fm forward slash Sound Encounters. 
what's your favorite post-punk record on this list or what's your favorite post-punk record of all time? Let me know. Let me know. And that has been post-punk. All right, so that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. Next week, who knows? I might just do another genre guide. I, I, I do have a lot of fun. I do enjoy making these genre guides. So why not just do another one? You know, three in a row. Why not? Um, I think I have a pretty good idea of what genre I want to cover, but I'm always open to suggestions, to I- different ideas. So if you want to tweet me or... Again, send another anchor voice message. Let me know what genre you would like to hear me do on a future episode of Sound Encounters. Follow the Sound Encounters Twitter and Instagram at Sound Encounters. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts and it could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Do you have a question or suggestion for me? Then visit the Twitter or Anchor page and submit your question. That too could be featured on the next episode of Sound Encounters. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. This has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week. 